preeminently the time to speak the truth frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. If you're old enough to remember that speech, you, uh, you remember that that is from 1933. Uh, and probably one of the greatest presidents this country has ever produced, uh, Franklin Roosevelt's inauguration speech in January 1933. Roosevelt said on that cold day, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That is a statement that has uh, has grown in reputation. Uh, it's, a, it's a phrase that's used. Uh, it's a phrase that's obviously connected uh, to that particular man at that particular moment. Uh, the question I want to ask this morning, was that, a, was that a good comment? I mean, I know it was a great political comment. I know it was, it was a wonderful thing to, sp- to say in a speech, but was it really accurate? If you go back to 1933 and some of the things that they uh, were facing at that particular moment, uh, worldwide depression, not just in the United States, but literally the, the entire world was suffering uh, through a depression. In our, con- our country, some of the uh, unemployment figures during that time 25% overall unemployment, and if you took the uh, if, if you took the farm workers out of it, because we were still very much an agricultural uh, country, and if you just looked at folks who didn't work on farms, that number jumped to 37% unemployment. Nothing to fear but fear itself. What else were they dealing with? Well, rampant home foreclosures and evictions. Uh, people were living on the streets, not only in the United States, but there were worldwide problems. Hitler and the Nazis had risen to power in Germany. About two weeks after this speech was given, Hitler became the chancellor and the dictator of all of Germany. Just about three months after this speech, the name that is now infamous with the death of millions of Jews in Europe Dachau opened in March of 22nd of 1933. While I have great respect for President Roosevelt and what he did, I'm not quite sure that I agree with his statement. All we have to fear is fear itself. Well, that was then, but what about now? Do we have any fears today? Job loss is maybe not at 37%, but in some states it is that high. Uh, national debt, potential, uh, a lot of economists are saying uh, the printing of more money is simply going to lead to double-digit inflation, which will compound our problems. Uh, North Korea and Iran may be, may be going nuclear sometime, and that presents all kinds of, of crisis. I thought I'd throw one of my own up here uh, for you all to observe. I called my, my doctor the other day, and I, and I said, look, I'm having a birthday by you know, the end of January, and I probably need to get in there for my 50-year-old checkup. And the nurse said, oh, are you turning 50? I said, no, I'm turning 52, but what's that have to do with the conversation? She said, when's the last time you've been in to see your doctor? I said, how long have you worked there? And uh, she said, let me pull your file. And she, I said, I'm pretty sure I was in about three years ago. She said, try six. 
So I'm going to see my doctor for my 50-year-old checkup. He's 52, and please don't come up to after the service and scold me. I know I should have done this a long time ago. So, I, you know, I might have some interesting conversations with my doctor coming up in January. Some of us might be saying, you know, I just want to survive my family over the, uh, over the next couple weeks uh, and make sure that, that we get through. I think, do I have one more? Oh, yeah, the Cardinals bullpen. That is, um, we, we, there's certainly some question marks there. Now, having a little fun with that, but in all seriousness, what are your fears? What are the things that when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, you can't quite roll over and go back to sleep? What's on your mind? Might be your kids. Might be your job situation. Might be a broken family relationship. Could be just an uncertainty about the future. I think it's safe to say that there probably are more things to fear than just fear itself. For our purposes this morning, as we consider uh, Jesus coming to, to shatter the silence of sin, is kind of the theme of, of this year's Advent series. And the question that we want to ask and address this morning is, does, does the coming of Jesus, uh, does that give us uh, some context with which to address our fears, to understand them, and maybe even perhaps to overcome them? Well, we're going to try to ask and answer that question by looking at, at one of the first divine visions that, that occurred in the nation of Israel after a 400-year period of silence when neither prophet spoke nor the Lord appeared to his people in any way giving them any message. 400 long years of silence, a lot of things had transpired in the world, and the nation of Israel had become all but completely broken. They were occupied by the Romans who had occupied them after the Greeks had come in and conquered them. Uh, and there was a lot of national pain and suffering in the nation of Israel. And God had not spoken. And now... Stepping into the silence, God shatters that silence and he speaks his divine word, not to the kings, not to the rulers, not to the government, not to the powers that be, but he speaks to two simple peasants. And the message to both is the same. Do not fear. We're going to look this morning at two passages of scripture. The first will be Matthew chapter 1 and the second will be Luke chapter 1. But before we read Matthew 1, let's spend just a moment of prayer. Father, if we're honest with ourselves, there, there is much to fear. Each person in this room, no matter uh, how well our life seems to be going right now, there, there's always a question, there's always a potential conflict. There is normally some crisis looming on the horizon or, or problem which we find ourselves right smack dab in the, in the middle. Father, there's good reason for human fear we watch the news or just look in our own community father there's much to fear in, in the days of joseph and mary the nation of israel had all but ceased to exist you had not spoken to them in in many generations there was perhaps a sense of hopelessness maybe much like some of us feel this morning so father we don't want to just Say, well, don't worry about it. Do your best. Try your hardest. Hopefully it'll work out. Father, we don't want to bury our spiritual head in the sands. We've come here to worship you, and part of that worship is worshiping you with our minds. These are serious questions, Lord. These are important issues that we face. Father, I would dare say that there, there are many people in this room this morning that are, that are captured and wrapped up by fear. 
I can't answer those questions. I can't give them hope. I can't give hope to myself. It is only your eternal word that speaks truth. It is only when you shatter the silence that we hear from you. That we know what true hope is. What we know what it means to be freed from fear. And so, Father, we pray for your presence this morning. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me my sin. Don't let me stand in the way. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come. That you would teach us what it means to trust in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She is, uh, she will bear a son, and you will, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel speaks to, uh, to Joseph very clearly, very concisely. He says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And the question I want to ask as we look at this text is, did Joseph have any reasons to be afraid? I mean, normally when you're engaged, that's the happy time, right? Uh, a lot of engaged couples are what I call blissfully ignorant. <laughs> they haven't been married yet. They haven't enjoyed some of the learning experiences that those of us who have been married have, have had the opportunity to learn and to grow. You know, putting this in a very positive light, right? Uh, some of those engaged couples are here this morning. Uh, but, but they will learn and they will grow. But, but this is a time for Joseph to be excited, right? This is a time for Joseph to say, boy, the, the world's really coming together for me. I have this wonderful young, young uh, gal that I'm engaged to and, and things are looking really great. But then he finds out that she's with child and he knows that he's not the father. I would suggest that there are several things of which Joseph should take some note. Uh, the first one, really, these two statements kind of, kind of are the, the opposite uh, sides of the same coin. He had nothing to fear but staking his reputation, his career, and his entire future on a dream. An angel appeared to him and said, hey, Joseph, it's okay, it's good. Now, does Joseph say, okay, I'm going to agree, or boy, I had a bad slice of pizza last night. This is a dream. This is is an odd occurrence. Joseph knows that God hasn't been speaking through the prophets or directly to anybody since anyone can remember in his hometown. And now here's Joseph, not a rabbi, not a priest, not not, not the king, but Joseph, a peasant carpenter, and now God is speaking directly to him through an angel? Really? Am I certain that that's happening? The other side of that coin is, well, I'm wrong in losing my, uh, my career, my reputation, because I don't believe. What if I blow it and, and, and God comes and judges me because I don't get it right? Perhaps another fear that may have crossed his mind is, you know, I'm trusting this dream is true uh, and that my fiance really wasn't unfaithful to me. Joseph probably had some fears, some misgivings about the character of this young woman he was, he was about to marry. I'm sure the thought came through his mind before he had this vision, and maybe once or twice after the vision, who knows, is she the woman I thought that she was? I'm not sure about all that. He also might be, be worried about just his, his reputation. I'm going to look like a complete fool to my family and friends. Try explaining this one to, to your buddies who say, you know, 
Mary's not who you thought she was. You probably ought to steer clear of her. Oh, no, it's okay, because what's conceived in her is from God. So it's all good. And I learned this from a dream. An angel came and talked to me. Try to put that on somebody and see how they react. They're going to say, well, why don't you sit down, and we're going to get somebody that's going to come and talk to you, and, and, and it'll be okay. I mean, Joseph is about to, to really look like he's not necessarily rowing with both oars in the water. But what about not trusting the dream only to find out that later it really was an angel? I would suggest that, that Joseph is faced with only uncertainty and risk. There, there's nothing here that, that says, Joseph, no worries, no problems. It, no matter, you know, it, it's all going to be great. And Joseph has this vision and never has another problem the rest of his life. This is a very real person in a very real community surrounded by very real friends and families with a real conundrum on his hands. I want to suggest to you that this passage points that either way Joseph turns, there's a potential downside. <laughs> if he doesn't trust, and this really is God, he has a serious problem on his hands. If he trusts that it is God and, and it really was uh, you know, uh, something bad he had for dinner last night, there's a real downside to that as well. But you know what? That's what I love about the Scriptures. They don't paint a fairyland tale for us. They don't talk about life as if there weren't real struggles like this. And that's why I think it's, it's safe to ask within the context of this passage is, what are your fears? What are my fears today? Those fears can be very real based on, on data that, that is accurate and is holding us by its clutches. I think it would be a foolish and a misrepresentation of this passage to say, well, just because Joseph had this vision it all became very simple for him, and he had no problems. Joseph had some real fears with which to deal, even as the angel of God comes and shatters the silence. We'll flip over in your Bibles, if you're following along in Scripture, to Luke chapter 1, or you can look at the screen. We're going to look at the, the second uh, peasant to whom the angel appears, which is actually Mary, uh, who is the fiancé of Joseph. Uh, and in verses 26 through 33 in chapter 1 of Luke, we read the following. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of God, excuse me, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Don't be afraid, Mary. It's okay. The Lord's going to overshadow you. Miraculously, you're going to be with child, but it isn't just any child. Mary, the silence is being shattered. God is speaking once again, and this time he's going to speak with his very word in the flesh. No fears, Mary. You are the one that has found favor with God. You are the one through whom God is going to produce this offspring. And Mary does cartwheels, and Mary jumps up and down and says, this is the most phenomenal news I've ever heard in my life. It says Mary was greatly troubled in her spirit. Why? Because Mary was scared. 
because there's some real fears in her heart as this angel appears to her. And just as we looked at Joseph, let's consider for just a minute what Mary's fears may be. She's become pregnant without a husband. That isn't quite as big a deal in our day and age, but trust me when I tell you, in Mary's community, in Mary's generation, this, this was a, a, a death seal, so to speak. She, w- she was going to be an, uh, literally shunned the rest of her life. To not have a husband and to be with child in her day was about as bad a news as you could possibly get. But again, something along the same lines of Joseph trying to explain the surprise to your family and to your friends as by God and from God. Uh, if you've ever had the experience where, where there's been a pregnancy that's been a surprise and, and maybe not a pregnancy that was planned and maybe not even a pregnancy that, that you desire to try to share that with someone else, to try and help uh, give them that news in a way that they can hear. Well, think about Mary's situation. Think about Mary talking to her mom. Think about Mary talking to her dad. Dad, I got some bad, bad news, but I got some good news. <laughs> We're not married yet, but I'm pregnant. But Joseph isn't the father. But don't worry, Dad, don't panic because God is. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I put myself, you know, in the, I'm a dad, I have a daughter. That throwed me off my game just a little bit. And for us to, to read into this, uh, you know, an oversimplification is, is really to miss the understanding of the text. Beyond that, you know, how am I going to explain this to Joseph? How, how am I going to explain this to the man who, to whom I'm betrothed, the man to whom I've given my word, my promise that he's the only one for me, that I'll be faithful to him and in return, I know he'll be faithful to me. How can I go to him now and explain this situation? And as I said earlier and alluded to, Mary is going to be a total outcast in her community if she's a woman who's had a child outside of marriage. You see, Mary is also facing a real challenge. There's plenty of motivation here for her to be fearful. Is there any good reason for Mary and Joseph not to be afraid? Is, is there hope within this message? Is there, is there perhaps an understanding that they have based on this message that would allow them to deal with their fears in an honest way and in a forthright way, but also in a way that exhibits faith in their lives. Uh, I was a big fan of Lord of the Rings long before they became a movie. I began reading those books when I was in the eighth grade. And there's a scene in the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, in which the, the hobbit Frodo is kind of running for his life uh, from these riders that are after him because he possesses the, the ring of power. And he's come to a, an inn in a little town called Bree. Uh, and there's a guy that's sitting in the back corner who keeps staring at him. He's a ruffian kind of looking guy. He turns out to be one of the heroes of the story. But in his first encounter with Frodo, he says, I know what you're carrying. I know what you have. I've been sent to help you. And then he asks him a question. He says, are you afraid? And Frodo says, yes, I am. And, and Aragorn, the, the character responds, yes, but not nearly enough. Frodo, you don't have enough respect for your enemy. You don't understand that with which you're dealing or you would be more afraid than you're exhibiting at this particular moment. I want to suggest that if, that if Joseph or Mary came to us for counseling, came to us as a friend or a family member, that they would come with fear and trembling, and rightly so, and their news and their message to us would be one that, that would shake us to our very foundation. Is there any reason that they should not fear? 
Well, I believe that there is, and I believe it's, it's found in the larger context, not just in the immediacy of their particular situation. Let's look at, at, at God's comment to Joseph. He says, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, God is at work here. Joseph, God is accomplishing his plan of salvation. Joseph, you know the promises that were made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know that the Messiah through the prophets has been promised to come and to be the Redeemer. And Joseph, you now get to be part of that. It may not be simple. It may not be easy. In fact, it, it quite possibly would be the most difficult thing that you experience your entire life, but you're part of God's plan for salvation. Joseph, understand the context and what's happening around you. Open your eyes spiritually and see that God is at work. Is it going to be difficult to explain to your family and friends? Yes. Will some of them reject friendship with you because this happens? Absolutely. Will you be called on to follow God in a way that very few people ever have been? No doubt about it. But Joseph, no need for fear because this is God's plan for salvation. What about marriage? Or excuse, Mary. Mary, do not fear. You will conceive and bear a son. He will be great and called the son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of his father David, his kingdom will never end. Mary, your child, the one in whom you are going to bear is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the descendant of King David. He is, he is going to be called God's son who will reign forever. Here is the one who is going to restore Israel. Here is the one who is going to bring salvation. And Mary, you get to be part of that. God has chosen you as his instrument through which his son is going to come into the world. And both Joseph and Mary, fearing the loss of their reputation, or perhaps fearing their family's reaction, or perhaps fearing the fact that, 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 that they may lose some of the carpentry businesses Joseph has, has built up because now they're, they're going to have a, a, maybe not the best name or reputation in their community, is measured against God's promise. And Joseph and Mary both choose to trust God. I think it's important for us to understand that they chose to follow God and they chose to trust God in a very real context where they did not know the answers. We read back into the gospels. We know the, we know the shepherds are coming, right? We know the heavenly angels are going to, are going to sing, right? We know that the wise men are going to show up and give them all kinds of presents that are very valuable. They're going to help Joseph be able to get his family down to Egypt and, and save from Herod and then back. We know that Jesus is going to grow up and he's going to become the Savior and he's going to go to the cross for all of our sins. We know that because we can look back. But Mary and Joseph knew as much of that story as you knew what you know what's going to happen in your life next year. You might have some guesses. You might even have a, a couple of educated guesses, but you have no idea, and I have no idea how next year is going to turn out. We don't even know if we're going to get to next year. There's a couple weeks left in this year. Understand their faith in the context of a very gray picture, but a promise from God to bring redemption. For you and for me this morning, the fears may be different, but they're just as real. How is our courage restored? It's not enough just to look at Mary and Joseph and say, well, it all worked out for them. What about you and me? Do God's promises apply to you and me? How is our courage restored? Well, let me give you a couple negatives. 
Our courage is not restored based on an easy pathway. It's not because life becomes simple. It's not because we we don't have any problems anymore. It's not because everything works out okay. We live in a world where our faith is tested every day, where we are tempted to live fearfully every day. I was talking to to a young man I know earlier this week, uh, and he was told by his parents uh, a week before Christmas that the family's done and they're going to be divorced. Merry Christmas. A lot of fear in that young man's heart this morning, and rightly so. There's a great unknown to him. How does he, as, as a man who calls a young man who calls himself a disciple of Jesus, how does he deal with those fears that I'm quite certain kept him awake last night, unable to fall asleep? It's not because God says it's going to be easy. It's not because it's going to be simple. It's also not because we have a freedom from emotional pain or, or physical pain. In other words, it's our, our courage is not based on the fact that, that we don't have any of these very real problems uh, that face the world. We live in a broken world. And, and there's a lot of fear because of that. The Roosevelt phrase is, it's often recited. Uh, and it was, wonder, it was masterfully spoken. Uh, you know, we kind of see it on the fuzzy black and white. But in that particular moment in history, that, that was an amazing thing for him to say. But the facts are, it was completely inaccurate. <laughs> there was plenty to fear. Roosevelt's statement held no water, so to speak. If freedom from fear means freedom from from pain and suffering and an easy pathway, it would be wrong for us to think that our courage is going to be restored by, by coming to Christ and then never having a problem again the rest of our life. Well, if it's not based on that, what is it based on? Our courage is based on the character of God. I come back to the quote out of Matthew and the one which is, which is mirrored in Luke chapter 1. He, your son, Mary, your, your, uh, your uh, betrothed son, Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. Name him Yeshua, Savior. Our courage comes from knowing the character of God. You see, the character of God is a, is a character of redemption. It's a character of mercy and of grace. We, as I said, can look back into the story and we know that, that He has redeemed us through Christ Jesus. And because of that act of mercy, we know that His love is boundless and that His grace is sufficient for us. Most disciples understand this. Uh, for those of you that have been walking with Christ for a while, I don't think you've learned any new theology this morning. I don't, I don't think that third statement... I don't think any of those statements, quite frankly, are a surprise to you. Uh, I don't think you're coming and going, wow, that's, that's amazing. I'd never looked at it that way. I think most people who follow Jesus understand that. We may wrestle with it, but we get it. We know that the character of God is a character in which we can trust. We may need to be reminded of it from time to time when our circumstances get difficult. It may be that you need a brother or sister in Christ to come around you this morning and put their arm around you and say, you know, you're really in a tough spot. I'm praying for you, and I just want you to know I love you and care about you. You may need that kind of encouragement this morning. Uh, you, you may need somebody to say, you know, our prayer team is up front. You may come up for prayer this morning and say, you know, we're faced with a real tough situation. You know, my mother-in-law's coming for Christmas. I'm not sure I'm going to handle that. That's, uh, that was really a bad thing to say. I, I'd, my mother-in-law's not coming, but I'd be glad if she was. We, she and I get along really great. Um, but you, you need prayer. 
And it's not that, that, that we get it and we never have a problem, but we understand the foundation. We understand that God is a God of character. So we do come for friends to encourage us. So we do come for friends to say, hey, I really need you to pray for me right now because I'm scared and, and I know I can trust God, but I need you to support me. Again, I, I think we get it. The understanding of this truth is not the issue this morning for those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus. The bigger question in my mind to which this text points to is, do we see and understand that God strategically placed Mary and Joseph in those places? That he put them there in that day and in that generation because he wanted a carpenter to raise his son. Because he knew that Mary had some things that it took that would be the right ingredients to give to his son as he was growing up in, in human flesh. Do we understand that the strategy of God and his plan for redemption and his ultimate alleviating of our fears through Christ Jesus happens through people he places in history? Which means there's an application for you and for me this morning. Do we see not only that God strategically placed Mary and Joseph where he put them, but do we understand that he has placed us in this community? That he has put you in the particular workplace in which you find yourself. The career path that you have chosen. The school in which you may now be intending. The street that you live on. The family in which I find myself. Do we understand that God has strategically placed us here to show others the pathway to freedom from fear through Christ Jesus? That this isn't just for us to be reminded again that we can trust in God, but that God's going to take you places this week and he's going to take me places this week and we're going to interact with folks all week long who have fear, maybe unspoken. Maybe they won't share it with us, but it's there nonetheless. And God's placed us in their pathway in order to be his messengers, that there is hope, that there is courage. Yes, this is a broken world. Yes, there's good reason from a human perspective to fear. But in God's economy, the ultimate questions have been answered. Salvation has come through Christ Jesus. I've said that Roosevelt's statement holds no water. And on, the, on paper, it doesn't. I said earlier, I thought Roosevelt was one of the best presidents in our country, and I, and I believe that firmly. And Roosevelt was no fool. <laughs> you don't become president of the United States by, by, by being kind of a simpleton. <laughs> Only bright people. You can disagree with politics of people and their beliefs. But, but you don't, you're not a fool and become president. And when Roosevelt stood on the steps that day and he said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, he knew what he was saying wasn't true. But he also knew he had a mission to accomplish. He had a responsibility to which he was going to hold up his right hand and swear allegiance that he was going to care for this nation. And he was going to do all that was in his power, even if it killed him, which eventually it did, to restore his nation to prosperity. Friends, do we understand that we have a mission? That we have an opportunity today to say, you know what, there, there is a real fear. But... But Christ Jesus is the answer. Let me be used by God to, to talk to you about what it means to know Christ and to be free from the clutches of fear. Not that your circumstances get simple, but that you now have a context with which to understand the issues of your life. God sent Gabriel to speak to Joseph and to Mary and to say, don't be afraid. God is bringing redemption. Who's he going to send us to this week? Will you pray with me?